expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we go, kids. It's episode 130 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where, you know what, Nick? I think what we should do this week, just for a quick minute, let's how about do a little fan appreciation? We love our fans, and I don't think we talk about them enough, so let's do a little bit of fan appreciation, because we actually have a couple of pretty neat stories that we can tell. Yeah, and for my story, of course, my mom, who lives in Syracuse, she was actually in Niagara Falls over this past weekend, and she called me and said, hey, I wanted to let you know that I was at this casino and there was this cosplayer there and I don't want to butcher her name so I'm not going to say who it is. Yeah, don't be me. I'm not going to pull it with them this week. Yes, don't do that. But she's like, she's like so I saw you know professional cosplayer stuff like that and she goes, she my mom goes, so I was telling her about the show and she goes, oh I love that show. Those guys are very entertaining. And it's a great show. I listen every week. So my mom calls me. She's in her hotel room and she says. She tells me everything. I go, well, I'm free right now. I go, so if you want to go downstairs and hand the phone to her so I can tell her thank you, you know, that'd be great. So she does, and she goes, here, and she goes, hello. And I go, hey, and she started laughing. She's like, oh, my God, and she's like, I didn't know she'd get you on the phone. And, like, her reaction was just priceless, and it's that kind of reaction that really it makes doing this show so worth it because you get the appreciation. My mom is kind of like – and also my mom was like – Really, see, you have like friends, you have fans in Buffalo. I'm like, my, we have fans all over the world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, we've got, I mean, like Lee Beat and the Beat family from Birmingham, England. They listen to the show every week. So, you know, we appreciate our fans from all over the world. I met somebody, I was down in Raleigh this past weekend. I was talking to a guy named Carl who was, uh, who loves our, our tweets and our posts and listens to the show too. So, I mean, it's just so great that, you know, this is why we do this, guys. It's not for, you know, glory and fame and all that crap. You know, that's not what we're in this well, for. Well, maybe for you. I want the glory and the fame and the, you know, throw made of skulls. All right. Well, he wants the fame. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, in all seriousness, though, you know, guys, it's easy for people to say how much they appreciate their fans. And, and you hear that a lot, you know, not just with shows like this and celebrities and stuff like that. But, you know, we truly, guys, every time you hit that play button or go to our website or, you know, look at our tweets, stuff like that, we genuinely appreciate any second that you spend absorbing any part of the Down and Nerdy podcast. We talk about the story all the time. You know, when James and I started this thing, it's going to be, can't believe it's going to be three years in March. But when we started this thing a couple years ago, you know, we were getting excited. We're like, we had 10 people listen this week. Yay, us. And now it's like, we've had, as of right now, eight straight weeks of 10,000 plus downloads and listens. Yeah, and we can't thank you guys enough for that. And, you know, we go from, you know, talking about Batmobiles and cereal to having people like Audrey Spars on the show. I think talking about Blind Spy, you know? It's a, it's amazing the progression we've made in the show. And, again, that goes to, to every single one of you because if you guys weren't listening to the show, we couldn't go to NBC and say, no. hey, we want to talk to Audrey Spars from Blind Spot. Or this week, hey, we want we couldn't go to Netflix and Marvel and say, hey, we want to talk to Simone Missick from Luke Cage. You know, it wouldn't happen. They'd laugh at us. Yeah, we'll not glaze over that, by the way. That's actually happening. We're talking about Luke Cage this week. We can't wait for the big premiere September the 30th on Netflix 
And of course, you're going to get to stream the whole thing, so you didn't even need to really wait. So you're going to stay up all night streaming Luke Cage. And man, I'm just, I'm stoked for it. And Fall TV's here. I'm excited. Exactly. We're going to dissect some Fall TV later in Geek Tainment. And again, we're going to be talking to Simone Mystic, who plays Misty Knight in Netflix and Marvel's Luke Cage. It's going to be streaming this month. So but again, hey, guess what? What we're reading is just around the corner. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. This is Audrey Spotify from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, folks, it's that time. Yes, we're going to be pulling out our long boxes and discuss what we're reading this week in James. You know, we had Colin Bond, Fico Asio, and John Barber on a couple of weeks ago to discuss IAW's revolution. Welp, the revolution is here, and this week I'm doing the first kind of spinoff and tie into Revolution. I'm talking, of course, about ROM Revolution number one from IAW Publishing. The writers are Chris Ryall, Christos Gage, and Ron Joseph. The colors done by Jay Photos and letters done by Sean Lee. Now, I will preface this. If you are not reading the current ROM run, not talking about the Revolution run, I'm talking about the main ROM run. When you open this book, you will be a bit confused as to what's going on because there are characters in this book that are tied to the first few issues. So I just want to preface that by saying, read the first few issues first of the regular ROM series, then dive into this Revolution book. It's good anyway, so just read it. Oh, You won't be sorry. (laughs) And so without spoiling anything, just kind of a quick recap, pretty much uh, there is these beings called Race. And what they're doing is, if you've ever seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that's what this is. They pretty much take over people's bodies and they are this evil, monstrous, alien breed of creatures. And Rom is pretty much the space knight who is part, you know, android, robot, part human. There's a little bit to him in there that's human. And he actually has a pretty cool backstory. I'm not going to dive into it because it's pretty cool uh, when you first read it. And pretty much it's him dealing with this invasion. And again... There's something that he has to do in this book that, remember we talked about, I'm not going to spoil Revolution Number 1, but there's something he did in Revolution Number 1, the main Revolution oh, run, yeah. where you couldn't walk away from this. The way that this ends is another thing of Rom cannot come back from what he's about to do. No. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you know the target and you know why he's doing it. But again, you have to remember that this is a series and a crossover that's based off of the public doesn't know who Rom is. A lot of people think that he is, you know, a transformer, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've kind of seen and we've seen that in the, the main revolution run. But overall, the way that the story is constructed and the way that that they really do a great job in tying in the main run to where, again, I read, I read the main run so far of ROM, so I'm not confused, but the way they do some callbacks are pretty unique and nice. And let's just say that there is a being that ROM kind of faces, well, not kind of, but he actually does face in this book, to where you reveal, it, when you see its origin, the way that Ryle, Gage, and Joseph create this origin, I will say this. It is, if you've, of course, if you're somebody who reads Spider-Man or knows about Spider-Man, who doesn't? This person, this being, I'll say, has a background that's kind of reminiscent of Scorpion. 
Ooh, I know how much you love Scorpion too. I do. So he's Scorpion's one of my that. Scorpion's one of my top five Spider-Man villains. I love him because like, I think that his backstory is what makes it so great. Oh, yeah. And this being's backstory is what is so amazing and also kind of depressing at the same time. It's kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing, sort of, without spoiling it any you know any more. But the art in this, I mean, again, it's very clean. And again, if you've read the regular ROM run, the art is pretty much exactly similar, which is Good. great. Good. Uh, our, ROM's armor looks fantastic. It's very, very detailed. I mean, there's some panels described. It's even like the back of his legs or just his chest. The being that he fights is very detailed. Again, in the leg area and just in the certain areas that you see the little crevices and everything else. It's very, very intense. Uh, I won't say what the being looks like because I will tell you this off air, James, what he kind of looks like. But the way that they've designed him, you can see some, I'll say, sci-fi uh, inspiration in the way they've d- created this being, this okay. monster that Rom faces off. I love the way that they they've sh- do Rom in this, the way they portray him. There, There's moments of doubt that they introduce this when it comes to Rom's thinking. This is a definite pull for me. IAW just constantly, this whole revolution thing since they announced it, you know, back a few months ago, it's been amazing. It's been, it grabs you and it makes you think and it makes you even compassionate for both sides, which is really, really interesting. I love the fact that they're making the tie-ins matter too. I think that that's a hugely important thing if you're going to do tie-ins. And I also love the fact that they've made Rom a huge part of the story, which I was really surprised at at first. But then when you, like you said, when you read the main ROM run, you're like, you, you fall in love with the character all over again. If you loved him when you were younger and you had the toys and stuff like I did, you'll fall in love with the character all over again. And especially how important of a cog, even if it's quickly, right. you're making him in this main story. Right. And what I love about this whole revolution thing with ROM, and just what we're going to see, you know, masks be coming up next to, as well as revolution number two. But I love how they make ROM's main run a tie-in into this this main, you know, arc within the Hasbro universe where unlike a lot of crossovers we see where characters get their own spin-offs outside of those crossovers, those main arcs, they don't really f- tend to work a lot because right. their their time is maybe limited. They might not have enough panel time uh, to really warrant a, a series, an ongoing series. But with ROM... They've done this well, the releasing as well. The marketing strategy behind this is great because they give you enough information about Rom and what's happening within his own world, within his own story and his own series to where when they tie this in, it feels – it doesn't feel abrupt. It doesn't feel like, oh, wait, this feels like an odd thing. You know, It doesn't feel like, oh, wait, I feel like I need to read another series outside of Rom to get what's going on. No. This ties in perfectly, and it feels like and if, if Revolution outside the main arc, and they're going to give all these characters their own Revolution arcs outside the main controversy, that's going to be amazing. This is, that's what it looks to be doing, and it's amazing. Feeling good about this, man. Feeling good. Feeling good about this. Feeling good. Speaking of feeling good about something, you felt good about another DC Rebirth title. Uh, I've been waiting for this book for so long. Because it needs to happen. And it's Raven it's, number one, actually. Oh, it's not Booster Gold number one? Of course not. You know me. I mean, come on, man. You, you know, we just talked about the fans. They listen to the show. They know what's up. <laughs> actually, what's funny is, is this isn't really labeled a Rebirth title, but it is to me. And, of course, it's written by the great Marv Wolfman. Art is done by Allison Borges. Blonde does the colors. A Larger World 
does the letters. Now, for those who might not know, Marv Wolfman actually co-created Raven. So, automatically, you've got that authenticity with this character. And written so, so well. And basically, it's it's kind of a struggle for her. She's kind of living in a very unfamiliar place, literally, because she's going to... I think I can talk about this. She's basically gone to live with another family because she's not with her family and one of them for obvious reasons. But the other family that she's not with, and of course we already know this, is the Teen Titans. Everybody's kind of gone their separate ways kind of thing. So she's she's at the point where it's a very much a trying-to-find-your-place-in-the-world kind of book and they keep her in that teenage atmosphere too which i really like so they you know they she's got to go through the high school thing she's got to fit in and what i do love about this and that wolfman does in the writing you want to talk about callbacks he calls back to the teen titans in this book several times which said well beast boy told me this and wonder girl told me never to do this kind of thing so i really like that they did that and just the way they kind of keep you inside her head and this whole book, I think, is really cool. Now, again, I can't really spoil a whole lot in this book because there's a lot of things that you can't really talk about because they'd be really huge giveaways. But there's humor in this book that I didn't expect, especially given the fact that we're talking about Raven here. Right. Uh, there's stuff that there's something that she does to uh, some of the girls in school that's absolutely hilarious. Uh, I think it's funny anyway. Probably they didn't. Um, but, but then you also see the, the tragic side of Raven because she has that, she has that both sides. She has the side where she wants to be normal, but she can never escape from this kind of thing. And then something happens in the middle of the book where you're like, oh, well, here we go. Maybe normal's not really going to be an option. Right. And you know, you, I want to go back to your comment about this isn't really a rebirth title. This isn't really Raven rebirth. This is more Raven transition. Cause as you mentioned, right. she's going through these transitional phase, new family, new school, trying to fit in. And I like that you mentioned the talk about the little laughs that are in this because she has such, I think, a dry sense of humor where she's more coming off as witty and that comes off as being comedic. And it works because, you know, you're thinking about how she talks just in the sound of her voice and, and how she is. And it really, really works really, really well. And I love the fact that when everybody else is talking about their families and she's trying to talk about her right. family and she really kind of can't. Um, now, the family that she's with does know about about um, her past, I guess you could say. So there's no mystery there. So I won't spoil who, who but, they are or anything like that. But they do know. So there's no mystery there. But there's mystery for everybody else. And how she deals with that, I think, is really interesting and kind of the way you would expect a teenage girl to deal with something like that. Not to mention the family that she is with is such a complete 180. Oh, yeah. From her original family. And even her Teen Titans family, if we're being honest. Right. Yeah. And it works. And, you know, it really, really works. And I think I can spoil this. It doesn't have to do with the Raven herself, but Detective Comics, the last issue, Tim Drake dies. And yeah. she makes reference of that. Like, Tim is gone, you know. And, well, he's gone. Right. Well, he's, he's not dead. He's, he's gone. There, but they think he's dead. Right. Yeah. So that's, but that's the point. Right. So that's part of her, you know, that's part of the depression that is Raven. And she's got so many, hey, pun intended, demons to deal with in her life, you know, both literal and figurative that, you know, it's hard for her not to be the way she is kind of thing. And she takes these things very hard and very seriously, but it's just written so well. And I didn't expect anything less from, 
from Wolfman, and the the art is very very appropriate. I mean, this is very much what you'd kind of expect from a from a YA title, a young adult title, but it's ramped up a little bit too because I I love what they do with the mystical elements. And there's a panel where it's just her eyes and a little bit of yep. the cloak, and you see the background, and I'm like, that's Raven. Yeah, that's exactly what you want in a Raven title, and I I love the look that they gave her in this book. They kept her with the young young adult look, and I think everybody kind of follows that and then the last couple of pages were absolutely beautiful the colors really popped so props to blonde on that but man i was so you know how when you start reading a book and it's character you really love you get right. to, you get to the first two pages you're like please be good please be good please be good and then you get to the, about the middle and you're like yeah yes all right here we go so this is definitely a pull for me I hope it's a pull for everybody else because I really want to see a Raven title start to sustain itself because I think that she's one of those characters that's always kind of been in a group no matter what she does. And I've always thought that she could stand out on her own. I know she's had runs before, but I think this is the time we can really make a Raven book work. And props to Marv Wolfman for hammering this all over social media as well. We're with you, buddy. We're going to try and help you out here. Exactly, man. I mean, but again, these are two great books you have to pick up. They're both polls this week, and they're really, really done very, very well. And speaking of things that were pretty, really, really, really done well, of course, the fall TV season is getting underway. Of course, we had the premieres for Lucifer, for Gotham, and for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week. We're going to talk about them come next, and this week in Geek Tainment on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hey, guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Continuing with our review of the fall TV season 2016, we've got the Warner Brothers and DC stuff kicking off and some Marvel stuff too, Nick. So let's start, though. Let's go in order. Let's start with Gotham on Fox. Of course, Gotham kicking off another season. And as we saw at the end of last season, Fish Mooney's back. And also, let's just say the monsters from under Arkham Asylum are out. Yeah, the Indian Hill stuff is going on in full force. And, of course, we get to see doppelganger Bruce Wayne again, or clone Bruce Wayne, whatever you want to call him. He's there. Uh, of course, you've got, like you said, Fish Mooney and her little band of misfits from Indian Hill. So that's kind of where we're at right now. There's there's several different storylines going on at once, but everything still seems to tie together. Right. For example, some storylines include in this season right now, uh, Jim Gordon is no longer with the GCPD. He is now a bounty hunter. Uh, also, if you want to take a look at what's going on with Penguin and Bush and such, uh, let's just say the girls opened up a club and let's just say there's some jealousy there or Bush is trying to find a way to get mm-hmm. Tabitha back. And there's pretty interesting. And also some other things as well, especially when you want to talk about Fish Mooney. I know we said that, hey, we're not happy that she's back. But now they're doing something with her where she has her power, but how can she sustain it? And as we see, it's kind of killing her as well. Yep, in case you haven't noticed, this is spoiler-filled, as will the rest of them be, by the way. So just keep that in mind as we go. But you should know that already. It's already aired. But we're not going to spoil the second episode for you. Don't worry about that. But, But you're right. There's so much stuff going on with Fish Mooney, and now we know there's a ticking clock, and she needs to find... Hugo Strange, and, you know, something happens with Miss Peabody as well, but, you know, we've got another person that's kind of thrown into the mix, and that's Valerie Vale. What do you think about her so far? I like her. It seems that what she's doing with Gordon is, she's very hard-nosed. She's a very hard-nosed reporter. I like the portrayal there. Uh, There is a nice little kind of bond between her and Gordon. If you notice, every season, Gordon has had a certain woman in his life, of course, you know, whether it's Barbara or it's the doctor, 
you know, from last season, you know, Lee. Well, here it's Vicky Vale or Valerie Vale, and I, yeah, man, I think I, I like the uh, the arc there that they're doing with them, a the little dynamic. Speaking of Lee, how crushing was that scene? Oh man, for people oh. who don't, for people who have seen, I mean, either way, you know, it's kind of like that thing when you have a girl and you're like, I want to see her. Everything's been mostly cleared up in terms of Jim's life, and he's off the hook per se. But she's moved on, and I think that honestly, I think that was the right move because yeah. a problem we see in a lot of shows, mostly superhero shows, is there's always that love interest that sticks around and kind of overstays its welcome, and then what happens is that dynamic it just goes around in circles and doesn't go in any other direction. So I like the fact that you know people over at Gotham said, you know what, there are a lot of other people that are in Jim Gordon's life. We need to close the book on this one in particular. I do think eventually they'll come together and there'll be closure there. I do think that they they need to tie that up just a little bit because I don't think he's going to be able to let it go, really. I think that they will go back to that a little bit eventually. But I agree. I like that they're not going to make it a focal point like some other shows do. Not going to name names. Not going to make it a focal point on that relationship there. They're moving on because they've got bigger fish to fry. And a lot of it has to do with how about Bruce Wayne stepping up? With the board of directors, and now we've got the court involved. I like that. And for everybody saying that, well, he's going to be Batman, again, he's still very, very young, but I like that we're seeing the beginning roots of Batman. I like how every season he's becoming more and more like the Bruce Wayne we see in the comics. And speaking of something we see in the comics, I want to talk about Poison Ivy because we find out how she's able to rapidly age and get older now. Mm-hmm. I mean... We kind of thought about it, and we're like, okay, how are they going to make her make her older? How is that just suddenly going to happen? Well, one of the people from Indian Hill, his power is to rapidly age people, and we see him use it to kill a couple people. Well, he grabs Ivy, doesn't kill her. She kind of falls, and we, you know, you assume she's dead. Cat uh, thinks that she's dead. So, Selena, I mean. So, I think that that's what's going to happen. Episode 2, she's going to be older because he didn't touch her for very long but probably long enough to age her a little bit so there you go and that makes sense and you know for a show that gets criticized for a lot of things how smart was that it was very smart and i i'm not gonna lie at first when they announced that they cast uh, the older version of ivy i'm like well there was a way they could do this where ivy is not really poison ivy the entire time she's just a separate girl named ivy i thought they were gonna go that route uh, however, I will say this. It's going to be weird because we know that the early age Ivy was about, what, 13, 14 years old. Ish, yeah. Granted, she's older on the outside, but really, though, time hasn't gone by. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be kind of weird. Well, but, but we don't really know how the aging process works with this guy yet because everybody right. dies. So they could they could age mentally. We won't know that. Until we see the second episode, I mean, I'm maybe you're listening to this, the second episode's already aired, so this is still spoiler-free for anybody that hasn't. Um, so we might still, there might be a mental aging there, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I agree. If that's the case, that will be a little weird, and actually could be pretty interesting. Right, well, something that was also interesting, of course, was the season two premiere of Lucifer, and goddamn, Joe Henderson, the people over there, man, they... Again, just hit it out of the fucking park. I mean, the very first scene when they're in the bank or the yeah. jewelry store and, and how they deal with that and uh, Menadiel and Lucifer are trying to track down mom and it's like, that was just hilarious. The show has not lost its touch. 
between the serious can, stuff and the hilarious stuff. Can I just say it's great seeing Amandio and Lucifer work together, whereas, in, I mean, last season was great when they were, you know, against each other, but seeing them really work together as brothers really, I think, adds such a beautiful mix and in, in, in addition into that relationship between D.B. Woodside and Tom Ellis. I mean, the chemistry between the two of them when they're together, like you said, is pretty unbelievable. I mean, the chemistry between Tom and pretty much everybody on the show so far mm-hmm. has been really unbelievable, but you're right. There's something about that relationship. And it's cool because the entire episode, like, as you said, is them trying to track down their mother, and there are certain people they talk to and certain things, and Tom Ellis just... Is it just me? I mean, I know we've talked to him. We know him. He's a very charming guy, but does it feel like his charm has been dialed up a little bit this season? It was definitely dialed up, and he's starting to explore, you know, his vulnerability when the detective's around, and then, you know, with Maze, what's going on there? Of course, there's plenty of spoilers here because the show's already aired. Maze comes back, so he tries to figure out where Maze has been and who he's been talking to and things like that. So it's just so interesting how he works with the dynamic, and then... Enter Ella. Yeah, and of course Ella is a new forensics person, a CSI person at the police station, and she is, you know, very religious. But the way I like the way they did it, to where she's not a very Bible thumping, you know, I believe in the Lord because yeah. I'm a Christian. She is, you know, person of, and she says in the show, like I'm a person of doubt. Like I believe. But I also question because that's what faith should be. It should not be. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think. You know, I mean, faith should be something that they're doing really well in here. And they do it well by saying, hey, doubt is very important in faith. And you can't have faith. You'd be a blind person. You'd be very ignorant if you didn't have doubt. So I like the way they anchor her in there. Mm-hmm. And her and Lucifer's dynamic already early on is very intriguing. Uh, so it's going to be very fun to see how she plays out with things as well. And also there's a little bit of an appearance by a certain somebody here. Yeah, there's an appearance, well, at the end anyway, <laughs> we see. And uh, we kind of find out what's going on with Mom right there at the end, actually. Oh, I wasn't talking about Mom. Oh, which, well... Guide me, my friend. Where are we? Which 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 appearance are we talking about here? There's plenty of them to talk about. Oh, Detective Douche. Ah, yes, Detective Douche. Well, let's see. Apparently, he's been kind of pardoned. I mean, they yeah. kind of, or they they said he said he, they want to sweep everything under the rug, kind of thing. They don't want to talk about what happened. So, but the funny thing is, is he's been demoted, and now he's kind of like Detective Bitch instead of Detective Douche. <laughs> Because now he's helping out on cases, but as the episode goes on, you get those darty little looks between him and Chloe, and it's like, Chloe, no. Oh, Chloe, no. No. No, Get out of the hot tub, Chloe, no. Well, also when they are, and we talked about this when we watched it, when we first see him, because remember, they're tracking down his mom, Lucifer's mom, so you don't know, you know, she can take over bodies and stuff like that. So it's like, is she Dan? Yeah. Is, is, is that who she is? You know, her. I mean, we know, of course, who's playing her in the show. Right. But early on, you know, it's like, could she be him? You know, could she be taking over, you know, jumping by the body or whatever? But, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I mean, we, I, we can say this. We did get a nice little screener for episode two, and it's just beautiful. It's amazing. And, and there's going to be so much. Any questions that you feel like, hey. What, what's going on here? The answers are coming. 
in episode two. I think oh, we yeah. can say that much. So yeah. not going to spoil anything for you there, but answers are coming. But we certainly got some answers with the season four premiere of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I just want to say this. It looks like their CGI budget went up this season. I think it had to because of who they have. I mean, they have Ghost Rider in it this season. And I will say this too. I know it's only been one episode, but that opening scene mm-hmm. shows why it's not Johnny Blaze this season. Yeah, and I actually like what they did. It's still hard to see Ghost Rider and not see right. the bike. Right. Know? It's hard to not see the bike. It's hard to see Robbie Reyes instead of Johnny Blaze. It's understandable. But I like it though. That's yeah. that's just that's that, that's the point that I'm trying to make is that I actually like it. And you know whether you liked the Nicolas Cage movies or not, we've said this in the past. You're always going to think about okay, is it is it like this or is it like this? And now you really don't have to worry about that at all because you got Robbie Reyes and Luna who's giving his interpretation of it and his dynamic with Sky early on. Very very interesting when they finally meet each other. And that's the thing, too, is that in this show, remember, this is, what, six months into the future, pretty much after season three, Daisy isn't known really by the public as Sky or Daisy. She's known as Quake, which I like. I like that they moved on to, hey, let's start calling her Quake. She's been called something different every season. You pretty that, much. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. She, she is the one who loves getting her name changed every season, pretty much. But, again, we see some things with her and how she's... Going, you know, of course, we know she's no longer really a part of Shield, but she's more like infiltrating the Watchdogs and kind of, you know, taking away their banking stuff and everything mm-hmm. else like that. So she's kind of become her own sort of a rogue agent, but she's not going against Shield per se. So I mean, there's also some, you know, a nice little cameo by Yo-Yo in there as well. And well, she actually plays a pretty big role in the show. Because, and that's the thing too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, once you see the again spoilers here with her and Mac at the at the base, and you know, Mac and Coulson aren't looked upon very well by shield either but we'll get to that here in a couple minutes but you see yo-yo with them and then flash forward quakes on a bus and who's right behind her yo-yo and she's feeding giving her, her information yeah she's giving her information about stuff and like the locations of colson and shield agents and stuff like that and again i look at this and also one thing you gotta look at too is and this has no dialogue but you get to look at the reasoning also why she meets up with yo-yo because she's using her powers but Again, she's you know trying to hide and, and stay mm-hmm. kind of undercover, so she's not using her gauntlets as much. So that's causing her bones to yep. be broken. And it's also causing her to bruise more, like we saw in the past seasons before she got to use the gauntlets. So I mean, we're seeing this now, and again, this whole thing is based on. on on Ghost Rider, but also there's one thing that's pretty cool in here too with Fitz, and also we got our first look at the Life Mile decoy as well. Yeah, that was really cool. Mallory Jensen yeah. is one of the best androids you're ever going to see. Yeah. It's so it's funny to say playing an android looks realistic, but she does such a good job with it. And Her then of course you've got great. yeah, and then of course you've got Fitz who knows about this. Simmons doesn't, and talk about Simmons, she's like the right hand of the director now. We're seeing right. a very different side of her that you know. We find out something about the team and how everything happened, and Simmons reveals to to May what happened there. Right, and that's the thing that's that's intriguing too, because you know, again, Coulson is now an agent; he's not the director anymore, so he got a demotion. And it's just like Gemma talks about how 
you know, I wanted to have this this confidence. I want to have the trust of a director because she is the the right hand of the director now. You know, she has to report everything that pretty much happens within Shield to him on the base, and so I mean that because it also going to create an interesting dynamic because her and Fitz are now dating. So how is that going to happen? Because Fitz tells. The doctor, hey, Gemma cannot know about this because yep. you'll go to jail, you'll lose everything. Now, Fitz can get in trouble, too, because he he's withholding information. But let's turn the focus back to Ghost Rider because there's only one, it's a small issue that I have with, with Ghost Rider. It's the fact of when he's killing people and stuff, because it's APC, it looks like we're not going to be seeing that. There are, you know, there's a lot of cutaways and stuff like that. That's kind of an issue a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be as big of one going forward. But I just want to say, though, when we see Robbie Reyes' face go from his own to Ghost Rider, that was a pretty pivotal moment. And because they said these first two episodes, especially the second episode, is going to be Ghost Rider versus Quake. Mm -hmm. And we saw that actually a little bit in the first episode. We get to see him throw down a little bit. Um, I do. If I did have one issue, it was a little cheesy. The whole, you know, she's walking to the tree. He says, well, I've got the receipts in the trailer if you want to go look at them. And he falls behind her and there's a whole, I'm just going to knock her out with a pole thing. I thought that was a little cheesy to get the, then that's how their conflict kind of started. Yeah. But, but, also, but it wasn't a huge issue either. But once once they threw down, man, I was like, all right, well, here we go. Well, that's the thing, too, is that, remember, remember what he says when she when she first uses her power on him. He says, so you have a little bit of the devil inside you, too. Yep, exactly. So in a sense, that causes him to go after her. And remember, he's about to throw this, like, burning shelf on her. And she's like, do it. You know, yep. I deserve it for all the stuff I've done. And he leaves her alone, pretty much. And remember, the spirit of vengeance only goes after people that deserve it. Right. So at that point, well, I mean, obviously they were fighting, so he had to defend himself. But he judged her and doesn't think she deserves it. And I think that's going to play a role going forward big time. Plus, and here's the thing, too, is there's something we haven't talked about yet. There's a mysterious crate that some people have opened. And there seems to be some spirit thing or whomever. It's it's a woman, but we don't know what the real detail is. And she pretty much causes people to attack one another. And it's going to be pretty interesting as well. I like the fact that every season with S.H.I.E.L.D., they've kind of gone different routes. I know mm-hmm. Hydra's been at the forefront for pretty much every season except for this one so far. But... They've gone from Hydra to the Inhumans, and now they're saying, you know, let's tackle the spiritual realm. And what does that play right into? Doctor Strange. Exactly. So that that could tie it. Maybe that's how they find out how to deal with this in, in some certain way. So I, I, I know that we talk about the movie universe and the TV universe not being tied together and how much we don't really like that, but this is one of those times where maybe they finally figured out a way to make it make sense. Because early on, I just don't feel like it made sense, but now I'm starting to feel more and more like maybe they've figured something out. Maybe they've found out a way to do it without, you know, making it overwhelming. I mean, you you hear the, you know, talk about the the Zakovia Accords and stuff like that. You hear those kind of mentions, but I think they've finally found a way to actually tie things in together that don't make it look like a jumbled mess. Or all of a sudden you see a trench coat and it's uh, Matt Ryan as Constantine. You're like, whoa! (laughs) Wait a minute! This is the ultimate crossover! (laughs) (laughs) DC and Marvel together as one! What? (laughs) <laughs> it's like when it's like when somebody from WCW used to show up on WWE back in the day, right. and vice versa. Oh my God, King! It's Sting! It's Sting! He's here! <laughs> Scott Steiner! Scott Steiner! <laughs> oh my God! Big Papa Pump! <laughs> 
But uh, overall, I mean, we talked about all these shows. Let's just go one by one. Uh, just give our ratings real quick, and we'll move on to nerd news. Okay, I think Gotham rebounded pretty well from what what I thought were a little bit of missteps at the end of last season. So I'm ready to jump that back up to about an eight out of ten right now. I'm still a little shaky because of Fish Mooney, uh, but I think they might have found a storyline that works. What do you think? Uh, I like what what they done with Gotham. I think Fish Mooney, and again, I know we said, oh, really, she's back, but I think that. I honestly think that the writers understand people's frustrations probably with Fish Mooney. So they're saying, like, okay, we need to have this kind of arc surrounding her. So maybe, you know, again, we saw Galavan come back and he got met with a bazooka. So maybe Butch has another round. In the <laughs> Be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out as well. Right. But uh, I, I, I liked it. I would, give, I would give it, like, eight Arkham Asylum inmates out of... Actually, you know what? No, I give about nine Arkham Asylum inmates okay. out of ten. Thought about it. Moved up one. Well, what about let's let's head straight to hell and find out what we think about Lucifer. Where would you go with that? Uh, the chemistry, again, they've never missed a beat. Joe Henderson, the showrunner, a buddy of ours, and just people who were on that show as well. We know everybody there. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Ten out of ten red eyes. All right. I mean, there's not really much more to say. It's a great show. It's continuing to be a great show. The new characters don't miss a beat. I'm going to give it 10 episodes of Leave it to Leslie out of 10. (laughs) Watch the show. You'll get that. I'm I'm surprised you didn't go hot tubs. (laughs) Well, I think it was hot tubs last year. Got to change it up a little bit. And then finally, finally, of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I'll let you go first. What do you think? I think I like what they're doing. I like the fact that it's a little darker. Uh, I need to see more Ghost Rider, though. Uh, not just Ghost Rider himself, but Robbie Reyes. I, I think that we got a pretty good amount, but I want to see more of how that character evolves, and I want to see um, maybe a little bit more backstory as well. I think that would be interesting, because I think the thing between him and Quake at the end, where he, she doesn't know that she's there, but she's watching kind of thing, I think that adds another dimension to it as well. Uh, the dynamic of the team and their different roles and having kind of gone their separate ways... I think that's going to be interesting as well. So I'm going to give that nine tremors out of ten. I, I like what you just mentioned about Quake and, and Ghost Rider. Again, going to the second episode, she says, you know, everybody's connected to something. We find out what Robbie Reyes is really connected to, or who I should say Robbie Reyes is connected to. So could she go, uh, you know, not attack per se, but could she kind of like interrogate that person? Maybe. And, and it could cause Robbie to really get pissed off even more and kind of, Go full Ghost Rider on her again. I like this a lot. I actually kind of like the tech, the kind of the little quips that Coulson had when it came to his new uh, new hand attachment. I'm jealous of those, by the way. <laughs> I will give this 9 out of 10 Flaming Skulls. I think that's fair. Yeah. But that's going to do it for this week in Geek Tamo. Again, we reviewed Gotham, Lucifer, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, and hey, pretty good premieres this year. But coming up next... Got a couple Star Wars things happening, especially one that's very top secret. Could new Death Star plans be part of it? We don't know. We'll take a shot at it. Nerd news coming up next. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time and we fly around the galaxy far, far away because it's time for what? Nerd, Nerd news. news! And we're going to start off this week's segment of Nerd News with a couple of Star Wars stories. We're going to start off in the comics verse first. And Marvel Comics, you know, of course, they've had a lot of Star Wars-related titles come out recently. Of course, you had the Star Wars main run, Darth Vader, uh, Princess Leia, and stuff like that come out. Also, a Lando comic. Well, 
Now they have some secret plans for a ongoing series in December, and I'm just going to say right now, it's coming out in December. Rogue One is coming out in December. I think it's either going to be a Rogue One-specific title, or it could be a Jin Erso title, I think. Yeah, I think you could be right there. I mean, it just makes sense. Although, I wouldn't be surprised if Marvel goes out of left field here, especially since we've got the Darth Vader folks attached to this, especially Karen Gillan's going to be writing this. And given some of the people that were in that Darth Vader run, I would not be completely shocked if they decide to go with a fan favorite and give us a Boba Fett series. I wouldn't mind a Boba Fett series. I really wouldn't. Or watch, they go totally out of left field and just troll everybody and go, Jar Jar Binks, the Gungan Wars. Can I just tell you, just uh, for the sheer backlash on Twitter alone, I really want hope that that, that happen. happens. I really do. Jar Jar Binks, well, Colin, seriously, I'm cool. Well, remember, remember, they actually talked about how they're doing a Phantom Menace thing with Yoda and how he was a Jedi before he was, you know, yep. Yoda. So people are like, really? You know, it's like, you're, you're going back to the prequels? Never again. You know, just, just never again. Yeah, I understand that, man. I really do. But there's so, there's really, if we're being honest, there's so many ways that they can go with this. It's almost impossible to nail it down. But the Rogue One thing just makes so much it sense. It does. And remember, they had that Star Wars title come out before The Force Awakens, which led up to the events of The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. It was that bridge between Jedi and stuff like that. So, again, you look at this, and it's like, it makes sense, because you have a movie coming out, so why not? You know how it's like back in the day? I mean, we, they still do it, but I don't really see it as much, because they're not as good, and not as profitable, but whenever you have a movie come out, studios will go, okay, we need a video game based on this movie to sell yep. as well. Yep. Well, hey, when you have Star Wars, you can say, hey, we don't need to make a video game based on this. We can just say, hey, let's make a comic book series, tie this into this, or whatever. Here's the only problem with that, is that nine times out of ten, those video games are not very good. That's why I said. I'm like, they're not t- yeah. They're terrible. Yeah, except that, for, that's the problem. Except for the first two Spider-Man games. Yeah, those were good. Um, the first Batman game was great. Maybe you could throw one of the Wolverine games in there, too, that oh, was bad. X-Men Origins Wolverine was ten times better than the movie. Although, I will say that the Batman game for SNES, that was good. The Batman, yeah, Return, Batman Returns, Returns game, that was game good. was great. So, we've but, got a few, but... We've got a few, but let's go... We've kind of highlighted the movies a little bit. Uh, so, there was a report as well that, hey, Disney's planning Star Wars films until the day that we die. <laughs> well, hopefully we last a little bit further beyond 2021. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it looks like they're they're talking about, you know, what can we do? And, of course, according to the rap, and it seems like they're planning and they had a meeting and they've mapped things out until right around, they said kind of 2020, but we're looking at 2021 and beyond. I mean, we know what we've got coming with the Han Solo thing. We've got Rogue One and based on the success of that, maybe we'll see something there as well. And of course you've got episodes eight and nine. So as a star Wars fan, my entire life, Mm -hmm. the, the, the kid in me, is going, yes, awesome, more Star Wars, but then the adult in me is going, okay, it's we very, need to be very careful here. It's very Oprah, like, you get a movie, and you get a movie, and you get a movie, and you get a movie. <laughs> and that's what I'm worried about. And that's, I'm worried about that, too, because, again, everything aside from what we think that the, the next two movies are going to be in terms of you know Star Wars after the Force Awakens outside I'm not counting Rogue One I'm talking about the main the ones that have the Roman numerals next to them 
it's like, do we really need a Chewbacca movie? Do we really need no. a, a certain movie based on whatever? And I know there are people out there who are pining and saying, like, hey, expand the universe and those types of people. And again, that kind of thing can go to, we already have Star Wars Rebels. So, you know, I mean, TV has kind of taken the ball in terms of that direction, you know? Yeah, I mean, do we need an Aunt Beru movie? I don't think we do. So, right. <laughs> I mean, I, but there, but therein lies the prop. Therein lies the problem. You have to be very careful going with the expanded universe because what have we said a million times in the past? You're not just making these for the die-hard Star Wars fan. You need to make movies for the general public as well. And think about how much explaining you're going to have to do about a new character like that. I'm saying this right now. I said it on the past show. Um, Star Wars movie I would love to see happen be Star Wars 1313 based on the video game they were going to have, they were going to make. That people who don't know what it is, it was gonna. It was a video game that was gonna be coming out a couple of years ago, and it was pretty much based. You were a bounty hunter, and it was it was pretty much based in the underworld of Coruscant, and it was and it looked awesome. I mean, it was totally it really different did. and stuff like that, and it was great. And of course, if, for PlayStation Two back in the day, they had Star Wars Bounty Hunter, where you were Jango Fett, which was a fun game as well. And so, I mean, I would love to see something like that. Again, I want to see a Star Wars movie that doesn't have to do with Jedis or Rebels. Something that, if you do like a 1313, I think that'd be awesome. I would love to see a Bounty Hunters movie in general, because I know yeah. that there's a lot of good ones, so I think that that would be cool. Um, I, I Han Solo makes sense to me, so I'm not mad about that. I mean, I know that there's a lot of stories that you can tell there. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing a movie, and maybe this is just because... I, I like this kind of stuff in, in movies. I would love to see a movie that's just based on a couple of the different planets and show what happens under the Empire's control right. between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope kind of thing. That Bridging the gap of that 30-year period or whatever the hell it was of how the Empire just kind of squeezed the entire galaxy sort of thing and taking over the Senate and whatnot. Well, think like a political thriller type deal kind of thing? That could know. work, but again, remember what happened with the prequels. We had, we got a lot of political shit in the prequels and it was boring as hell. But we didn't expect to get that. If that's what you're going into it for and that's what you know you're doing, it could work. It could, but I mean, again, it's just, I think that... But think of like like a District 9 type of thing where the Empire is turning the screws on but the also, galaxy, you know? But that, though, the thing is how much of Rogue One will play into that, though. It could, well, well, that's the only time will tell. And the only time will tell, well, speaking of time, you know, there was a time where I had Megazords out the ass, I had... Uh, a whole trunk, like a whole metal and plastic trunks filled with just different dinosaurs and megazords. And, of course, you know, the new Power Rangers movies will be coming out soon, and I'm very pumped for it. And we got our first look at, well, not a full first look, but we did get a uh, little bit of a tease in terms of the dinosaurs. And, yeah, I'm, I like it. I mean, again, we haven't seen them on screen yet, but and we haven't seen them in their full moving motion, but... I like the fact that they're doing the dinosaurs. I yeah. really do. Because if you remember, people who have seen the first Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, they had the dinosaurs, but they never used them. We never saw them on screen. We saw the, you know, the animal zords and stuff like that, the ninja zords. But this, like, oh my god, to see, you know, the T-Rex on the screen and the pterodactyl, and I swear to Christ, if we see the, the dragon zord, I'll probably come in my pants right in the theater. I'm going to tell you right now, what was one of the most popular movies of the last couple of years? Jurassic World. People right. love 
Dinosaurs. Kids love dinosaurs. It only makes sense <laughs> there's gonna to be, do this. There's going to be a scene where Alpha 5 sitting in the command center is going to go, Zoran creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs overtake man. Man takes down dinosaurs. <laughs> he, goes, like, he, go, he goes on like a Jeff Goldblum-esque like, monologue or diatribe of just words. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I'm in for this, man. I mean, I've I, you know that I you're definitely the much bigger Power Rangers fan than I, but... Everything I've seen about this movie, from Reed Repulsa to the suits, shut up! I don't care if they look like Iron Man suits. Uh, yeah, that's, okay. that's for every, that's for everybody else. Not yeah, you. Let me just say this again. I'm, I'm probably not the last one I'm going to say this because I know when we review the movie, I'm going to probably have say, to say it again it a couple more times. Listen, the suits needed to be upgraded. The helmets should be should have should be different. The only one that again differs from all of them is the Red Ranger one. I wish the helmets were a bit different and reflective of the dinosaurs that they are, the, the rangers have and they drive. But the suits need to be upgraded. The dinosaurs yeah. need to be upgraded because, you know, it was the 90s. You know, I'm yeah. just, just Whether saying. you like it or not, it's 2016 and you need to get with the times, man. That's just the way things are going to go. power coins, I'm still it. a little iffy on those, though, because they look like uh, jelly donuts have been sitting out for a while. I understand, but still, I mean, every, everything I've seen about this movie is working. So right. why not just keep well, that gravy well, train rolling? I, 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 I don't know if I want to say it keeps working because we haven't seen a trailer yet, so we still got to see what well, is Well, that's working. why I said based on what I've seen so right. far. Right. right, in terms of the casting, how they're doing reader reports, right. and Zordon being Brian Cranston, which is going to be awesome. Everything is working in their favor, so right. I think that... I mean, there's reason to be excited about this, and somebody again who didn't who didn't really grow up on and watch this stuff because I was a little bit older. As an adult, this seems like something that I might be able to enjoy without going as far as that fan film did previously. <laughs> this is gonna be one of those things where, uh, for example, like when we review certain DC titles, there's some characters you might know more than I do, and so like you take the ball with it and you like get so much exposition on it. I know when we review this, you're gonna be like, okay. I liked it, but did Nick like it? Because Nick is the Power Ranger fan. So. Well, that's funny. What if I love it and you hate it? Oh, my you know? God. That's a possibility. What if I'm like, this is the greatest Power Rangers movie ever, and you're like, shut your whore mouth. It is not. <laughs> Just shut nothing your to do. whore mouth. It has nothing to do with the Power Rangers. And I'm like, exactly. Bulk <laughs> <laughs> and Skull got their own dinosaurs. How cool is that? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> no, I will not listen to their podcast. <laughs> Speaking of Power Rangers, we're going to move on to things that are actually on Netflix because the Power Rangers are on Netflix, but so is a lot of original content in terms of film, of course, TV shows because you have all the Marvel stuff, you have Stranger Things as well. And yep. Netflix has come out, James, and they said, you know what? We want our programming to be 50% original content. Whew, that's, uh, that's a spicy meatball right there. That's a lot of content. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny, though. Every t- It seems like every time I log into Netflix now, and, you know, you scroll through the, you know, what's new kind of thing recently added, even though that's on every website known to man now, what's coming to Netflix in October and all that crap. Yeah. Um, you always scroll through to see what's new, and there's so much, I mean, so well, here's much the thing. stuff. Now, it's just Netflix originals. Now, this is according to a report from Variety, but this past year, the Netflix spent $6 billion on original content and licensing acquisitions. So, I mean, and that's the thing. is, And plus, according to their, the head of content, Ted Sarandos, only 10% of that went towards original programming. 
So you're spending, and that's the thing, that's why they're thinking about doing is like, say, hey, yeah. we're spending billions of dollars. And listen, I know people are like, oh, I got to pay $10 for Netflix. Nah, it's like, it's $10 for like thousands of movies and shit. Right. Like, not stop. only that, not only that, but let's face facts here, people. So far, Netflix got a pretty good track record with their yeah. original programming. They're winning Emmys. Even the stuff that's not winning Emmys is pretty damn good. So. I mean, where, where's the problem? I mean, the only thing I worry about is that they will just say, you know, because we're getting so much great original content, we'll have like Tremors 6 right. that is going to be the best movie on Netflix that's not one of theirs because they'd rather have you watch. And that's the other factor. You get more original programming, of course they're going to want you to watch their stuff. And here's the so thing, So why would they acquire other stuff that you would want to watch? But here's the thing, too. You know, we mentioned about, you know, a while back about how CW is going from Hulu to Netflix. Well, Hulu, if you have Showtime, you have all the current movies that pretty much have come out that go right to Showtime and, and HBO's your their thing. So Netflix is saying, hey, HBO and Hulu and such have their movies and Amazon Prime. They have, you know, if you want those, you know, if you want to watch Batman vs. Superman or, or Civil War or whatever, go get a Hulu account just for those and stuff like that. But we're going to be focused on making our stuff our own. I mean, they had House of Cards and stuff like that, too. I mean, a I lot of the stuff they've had is just, I mean, been, they've been winners, man. When you, when, I mean, a friend of mine, she was over my my apartment uh, recently on Labor Day, and she's just like, hey, let's hang out and watch Stranger Things. And we sat around, drank, and drank beer and watched Stranger Things. And it was awesome. We were actually yeah. kind of having some fun because... One thing about Netflix programming is when her and I were watching it, there were things that she was pointing out that I was like, oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> and not just that, man. I mean, they've got the Kings, kids programming, too, with the Danger Mouse and Inspector Gadget. And they've got the All Hail King Julian, which is from the Penguins of Madagascar kind of thing. So they've just got so much stuff. And they it's like Disney. They think of everything. So they're trying to get every base covered that they possibly can. I know they just canceled a couple things. Like, I think Bloodlines got canceled and stuff like that. But... For the most part, they've had a lot of winners, and they've actually remember they've saved shows too, like The Killing, and yep. they brought it back and done another season. And so that's another thing that we could see Netflix start doing as well. Well, as long as they don't have a cell, you know, have their own cell phone carrier like Comcast, you know, then that, yeah. that'd be fine. <laughs> I don't think that's as long a good as they idea. don't as long as they don't overstretch themselves. That's dear Netflix. That's fine. Stay away from the hardware and focus on what you're doing because <laughs> right. you're doing a pretty good job. Right, but I mean, overall, I think this is actually a good move for Netflix because, again, it's going to save the money. And plus, again, people don't like it when things, the prices of things get raised, and nobody does, even if you're spending as little as 10 bucks a month for a lot of program. But again, people want quality programming for what they pay for. So Netflix is saying, okay, we're going to double down on original programming, but by doing this, we're saving a lot of money by not having to pay for licensing fees and paying for you know stuff to stream that isn't our own. So what they're going to do is they're going to, to do this, and it allows them to, to make the budgets bigger for those types of shows and get bigger talent. I mean, they granted, they get Kevin Spacey, and they can get big talent anyways, but this can get them even bigger talent. Yeah, you know? they've earned that, though. I mean, yeah. they've earned that with the quality of stuff that they've put out. So they, they've really – I mean, I – I know House of Cards was that was kind of their let's take a gamble on original programming and it paid off big time and props to people like Kevin Spacey for it paid believing off. in that, I, you know? It paid off, but the I'm sorry, but the, the last season was not the best season. Well, hey, I mean, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get that every now and then, especially when it's your I mean, that was their first show. So well, now well, that they've well, started to focus on other shows. Not, not to go on a tangent, but I just gotta say this real quick about House of Cards is that you know we're talking about Netflix original programming. 
House of Cards, at first, it was one of those shows like, okay, it's pretty cool. Kevin Spacey breaks the fourth wall, kind of a dirty inside look into politics. It just got so wild this past season with the shit. Like, like I understand that he's the president, but there's shit that he does where you're like, ain't no fucking way this doesn't get out to the press. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah, especially in today's world, man. Especially yeah. with Twitter. Yeah. Everybody's going to find out everything. Exactly, man. Well, speaking of Netflix and streaming things, a show that's going to be coming out soon is, well, of course, Marvel's Luke Cage, and we have Misty Knight herself. That's right, Simone Missick is coming on the show to discuss Luke Cage. Stay tuned. More Down and Nerdy come up next. This is comic book writer Justin Jordan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, ever since Jessica Jones, and really before then, Nick and I have been super excited to find out what's going to be happening in Marvel's Luke Cage when it premieres Friday, September the 30th on Netflix. We're so happy to have Misty Knight herself with us this week. Simone Missick. Simone, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing really good. As a matter of fact, what I've kind of loved, and I know Nick has loved too about Daredevil and Jessica Jones, is how authentic each of these shows feel and how they represent their piece of New York in these difficult times. So would you say the same is true for how Harlem is kind of represented in Luke Cage? Absolutely. I think that uh, our creatives did a really good job of making sure that they captured Harlem the way that we know it to be now. And, you know, really kind of key into the Harlem that it was historically known or has always been known for uh, in the past few decades, you know, just from Cheo's writing and, and the fact that we shot on location in Harlem, was it makes it very authentic. So you definitely don't feel like you're on a stage somewhere off in the middle of nowhere, like you're on a, a lot. In Hollywood, you definitely get the, the sound and the feel and the authenticity of that borough. Simone, being part of the Marvel family, it just has to be such a surreal feeling and experience. What have been some of your takeaways so far? Oh, they're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Slave drivers. No, um... You know, it's it's great to enter into a family, which is really what it feels like. You know, it feels like you're a part of this really awesome family that wants to support you and they want you to have the most fun bringing these characters to life. You know that the material that you're going to work on is going to be great and the actors that they surround you with are outstanding. I mean, our cast is just unbelievable from Alfre Woodard to Mahershala Ali and Rosario Dawson, and to have, you know, Mike Coulter leading this ship, it's it's great. So you know that you're working with other actors that care about, you know, doing a good job and telling a good story. But then also it's the fans. Like, you just have this built-in set of people that are already excited and rooting for you, and they've seen Daredevil, and they've seen Jessica Jones, and so they're excited about Luke Cage. That is the the best gift, you know, as an actor, because so often there are shows that come out and you don't know, you Mm -hmm. know, if people are going to be receptive to them. So to already have so much excitement and anticipation behind this, it makes me even more excited. Absolutely. And speaking as, as fans, we know from the comics that, you know, Misty Knight and Luke Cage haven't always seen eye to eye, especially early on. So, you know, especially with you being a police officer in this as well, and this just kind of being all new to everyone, how would you describe their relationship early on in the series between you and Luke? 
Yeah, well, you know, Misty's five foot four, so her and Luke don't really see eye to eye. I think that uh, that you, when you first meet the two of them, there is some chemistry, and it, it's some some physical chemistry that's kind of undeniable. But then, as their relationship progresses, uh, you know, Misty is a cop; she is a detective; she is very much about protecting Harlem. And Luke is the unreluctant hero. You know, he doesn't want to be in the middle of it. And so he's kind of a foil to Misty doing her job for for a long, a, a, a large part of their relationship. So you, they don't see eye to eye. And it is, um, it's exciting to watch because, you know, there's this passion on the one hand, but then there's also this other kind of passion. You know, this, both of these people believe that the way that they are, trying to do good is the right way and that the other person's way is wrong. And so it's fun to play with. And Mike is, is a good hard head. So he's, he's a good uh, person to act opposite with that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Simone, people have been t- discussing on Twitter and through social media about the possibility of a Misty Knight spinoff series. So if Marvel were to do one, how do you think it would fit within the current Netflix universe? If they decided to do one, I think it would definitely fit. I think that a lot of fans are are excited to see, you know, the Daughters of the Dragon comics come to life. But I think that Marvel has already has so many of the characters in place that if there was a Misty Knight spinoff, it would seamlessly flow the way a lot of their um, stories all flow. They're all interwoven. They are connected in some way it would definitely still take place in Harlem within that universe. But I think that, you know, I think that people are excited to see strong women. And so, you know, the things that are are being whispered on Twitter and, and on social media just come from that hunger and that thirst from the viewers to see these female characters that they've loved for so long and they want to see them come to life and they don't want to see just a little bit of them. They want to see you know, a, a whole series. And so I think that Marvel has, has a, a great team assembled that could definitely work it out so that it kind of fits. Absolutely. We're talking to Simone Missick from Marvel's Luke Cage, which, of course, debuts. You can binge watch it all day Friday, September the 30th on Netflix, as a matter of fact. Now, Simone, I'm sure you've seen the Misty Knight costume from the comic book, so what would you want to have more? <laughs> Would you rather have your own superhero style costume or Misty's big hair? Oh, God. I mean, I'm a woman and I love hair. And, I've, you know, I've got hair. I think the Misty Knight costume is just so, oh, it's so tough. You can't eat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of places to eat in New York. For so. a couple weeks to fit into it. You got to hit the gym hard to get those abs. I mean, if they painted the abs on <laughs> one of those air airbrush t-shirts with like the abs already on there and then the misty of it all i would be i would be cool with the costume but i think the hair is the easiest to pull off oh absolutely <laughs> and Plus, i think misty's hair probably has its own superpowers <laughs> like, bullshit her, her <laughs> You never know. It's the power of the Marvel Universe. Exactly. Yes. 
And, uh, you know, you mentioned Mike Coulter working with him and him steering the ship of Luke Cage in the show. Uh, what was the funniest moment on set with him? In be- and in between takes, did he show you his prowess for power tools that we saw in uh, Jessica Jones? <laughs> in between takes. You know, Mike is a big pain in my butt. So in between takes, <laughs> there was constant arguing and fighting a lot of like big brother, little sister, back and forth bickering. Uh, but he's a lot of fun, you know. He doesn't take himself too seriously, so we definitely kept it light on set. There were always jokes and and, and good times. I, I'm trying to think what would be the funniest, uh, the funniest moments. I mean, no, that's a spoiler. I'm not going to say that. Oh. Um, I know, I know. Well, there, there are some, oh gosh, what can I talk about? This is pure agony will, from Simone right now. I know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough, I'm sorry. I will say that um, <laughs> in the moments that look the most intimate, those are, are the moments where we're laughing and joking the most. I will say that. That there was a lot of just like, this is ridiculous. Let's just <laughs> laugh and be silly. And and, and I will say this, you know, there is a, a moment where we're like, you know, supposed to be making out. And Cheo, the showrunner, <laughs> when we were doing the rehearsal, I guess everyone was uncomfortable with it. So, you know, different levels of discomfort bring out different things in people. And so Cheo is sitting over in the corner and, you know, our director, Paul McGuigan, is discussing, like, the blocking of the scene. Mike and I are like, all right, so we, you know, we grab each other here. It's, like, all very coordinated and all that good stuff. And uh, all of a sudden you hear, like, some Wu-Tang Clan in in the corner. And I'm like, what's what's happening? And Sayo is like, yeah, like, I think this song would be great. Like, if we play this song while while the scene is going. And I was like, we're in a damn musical. All of a sudden you just hear Chad's going. You see Chael playing, you can't Wu-Tang better than me. You can't Wu-Tang better than me. (laughs) That is fantastic. That was pretty that was pretty comical. Obviously. Oh wow! <laughs> well, speaking of Misty and her intimate relationships, I mean, we know that from the from the comics that your character has a lot of ties to Iron Fist, which is the next Netflix series that's going to be up. And I know you can't spoil anything, but is that relationship <laughs> something that you would like to see explored at some point going forward? Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, that the Danny Rand and Misty Knight relationship is one that you know, exciting to see. It was groundbreaking at the time when it came out. And I think that it still is relevant today, you know? Um, and I think that people, the, that the fans would love to see those two together. And, and as an actor, you want to be able to do all of the things that you know, that a character is possible, it, uh, that are all the possibilities for a woman. And, you know, we get to see Misty in the first season very tough, very strong, very vulnerable, but we don't necessarily see Misty falling in love with anybody. Um, or do we? I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> That's part of the mystery. Yeah. That, exactly. And, and Simone, before we get you out of here, this is going to be the first time, of course, we're seeing both Luke and Misty together in live action. So as fans binge watch the series on September 30th, what's one thing you hope they walk away with? hope that they feel like they 
saw these two characters come to life, that they don't um, necessarily think, oh, I wish they had put that in, or I, 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 why didn't they explore that, or that was missing. I, I hope that they truly just fall into the story and walk away with it feeling like these are, this is Luke and Misty, and that there could not have been another before, and that there won't be another after, and that they just feel satisfied. I hope that after those 13 hours <laughs> of binge watching, they don't think, oh, I can never get that time back. I hope that they think, oh my God, why do we have to wait so long for the next 13? Well, we're stocking up on the caffeine right now because we know that Marvel's Luke Cage is going to debut Friday, September the 30th on Netflix. We can't wait to not just binge watch it, but watch this woman steal the show. It's Simone Missick. Thank you so much for spending time with us this week. Thanks, guys. Well, James, as Simone said, Missy's hair would deflect the bullshit, but one thing you cannot deflect from, of course, is the power of Luke Cage. And you wouldn't really want to, I mean, other than the tiara and the trailer, I mean, it looks pretty badass. I mean, <laughs> right. And, I mean, we know we're going to get another hallway fight scene, too, which is very interesting that Netflix and Marvel like to do that. But, I mean, in, a, in an odd way, and this is going to sound this is going to sound weird, but... This is kind of the one that I've been looking forward to when I saw the slate. This is one that I pointed to. I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this one just because of not just Luke Cage character, but how Marvel and Netflix were going to represent Harlem and everything like that. And I, I'm just glad that she said, hey, this is authentic. We were there and it felt like we were there and we were shooting. And that's the importance, especially because, you know, the whole thing with Luke Cage is, you know, he's you know Harlem's protector and stuff like that. And then the trailer, you'll see him be a little bit reluctant to the idea. Mm-hmm. And it's just the idea of just Harlem is just one of those boroughs, just one of those places that it just has that history. It's just so iconic of a place that you have to make sure that you represent it, not just accurately, but that you have a lot of heart behind it. And then this show has a lot of heart behind it just from what we've seen. And it's just, again, when you have the cast of characters that you do and how they're representing Harlem it's just, it's a heartbeat of Harlem, man. It's just everything yeah. that's great about it and everything that you want. And again, this is just different in how I like how ne- what Netflix is doing where, you know, they're making this thing work, you know, because ABC has their thing with S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything they're doing there. But it's like, you know what? We're more grounded in a sense and we're going to make this more about, we have the characters, but again, it's going to be more about the Hell's Kitchen. It's going to be about, you know, Harlem and just where these people come from because, the settings make the character. Absolutely. And I mean, think back to the panel at San Diego Comic-Con. I mean, who got the lad- the loudest pop, as they say, coming onto the stage? to talk? It was Simone. Yeah. People are really wanting to see Misty Knight on screen. I'm so glad that they're bringing her into the season right away, too, because they could have easily done what they did in Daredevil with Elektra and, you know, brought her in kind of in season two and move her in like, no, they're starting right off. She's a cop. And she's dealing with the problems in Harlem. And then here comes Luke Cage. And, you know, how's that relationship going to be kind of thing? And I just think it's really cool that they just decided to put her in there right away. Because like she said, there's a demand for strong women. And the Netflix TV universe has really hit that out of the park. Well, plus you look at the way with the Netflix shows are run. You have the hero, but then you have that some that one person who is not really their sidekick, but more of just that kind of person that brings them back to reality. For example, like for Matt Murdock, it's Foggy. For Jessica Jones, it's Patsy Walker. And then, you know, for Luke Cage, it's Misty Knight. You know, it bring, that brings him and lets him know, hey, Harlem needs you. You need to stick up for Harlem and, and you know, do what you need to do in it to protect us and do what you need to do. It's right and stuff like that. 
and that's what this show does. It's just amazing, too, man. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, get the coffee ready or whatever your caffeine is of choice because you're going to want to watch Marvel's Luke Cage on Netflix on September the 30th. Man, I'm pumped. I'm ready. I can't believe it's almost here. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Area Podcast. And thanks to Simone Missick from Marvel's Luke Cage for stopping by and talking to us. Again, it premieres on Netflix September 30th, so be sure to binge watch it and binge watch it multiple times because we know it's going to be a great show. And as always, if you want more of us on the social media, hit us up, facebook.com slash downnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm at Merck with one arm. The one is spelled out, Mr. Witham Go. I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. And you can find all of our shenanigans online at downnerdypodcast.com. Not just the fact that, hey... You can find out where our social media stuff is. You can also find out everything that's on this week's show. And every week's show, we give you a breakdown of what's going to be on the show. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to listen to that. Can't wait to listen to that. So you'll keep listening at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, pray safe, compa greeting. Always bag and board your comics. And keep on reflecting that bullshit.